0: Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode and all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes ad-free? Head to our Patreon, patreon.com. That's dot com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room for $5 a month. You get all of our ad-free episodes, our video interviews, and our bonus episodes. See you there.
1: I want my act- my students to be working actors. I think that's my job is to make them working actors. Uh, so I wanna teach them, and acting is acting across the board, but there are certain ways to meter it so it works better for film or, or television or the stage. Where the stage is you have to be sometimes vocally much bigger or even physically your gestures are, are much larger. On television, depending on where the camera is or on uh, film, you know there's a change in that and there's a there are even courses that are just strictly acting for films to learn how to how to you know use your eyes and and use movement and all that
0: lgbt stories are universal but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it do you have a story to tell if so the gay and lesbian review wants to hear from you Have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the articles published in the print magazine, the GNLR lr also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section. This allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GNLR, and lr visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot org and scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have any questions, email stephen.hemrick at The GNLR can't wait to see what you have to say. And remember that they're offering an exclusive code with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. So when you subscribe to the magazine, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. So that's seven issues instead of six. Again, just visit theglreview.org and click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR for your free issue. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm really excited to be joined by another theatrical guest uh, since we had met on the Upper East Side. So I kind of feel like we're just sitting back down again and continuing our conversation, which is always the best uh, since we've actually met face to face, which doesn't happen a lot here. Uh, So I want to introduce Cristina Duarte, who is a director, actor and instructor and soon she'll discuss why she's an actor's director, which I just love that phrase. She was born in Portugal. Then she immigrated to the U.S. with her mother when she was seven. I know that she's from New Jersey, which <laughs> I share with her, you know, us New Jerseyans stick together. Uh, she is a long... <laughs> yes, i mean she's a longtime new yorker though just across the river uh she spent more than 20 years working professionally she is a member of the stage directors and choreographer's society she has directed numerous productions in new york city and santa fe as a director she is so interested in telling stories about our complex and courageous humanity yes we need that now more than ever Uh, She has taught acting and directing at Marymount Manhattan College, Brooklyn College, Hunter College, Queens College, the Stellar Adler Studio, and the Santa Fe University of Art and Design. Well, without further ado, here is Christina. Hi, Christina. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so
1: much for having me. This, This is very nice of you. Thank you.
0: Of course. Well, maybe let's start right away with something that's excited me so much is this YouTube channel, this oh. Instagram you created with actors director. And I'm just wondering, have you always, maybe even without that phrase, seen yourself as a certain actors director? Is that something that started to take shape throughout the journey of your career?
1: Oh, well, I've been directing a long time for for close to 20 years and, uh... It starts, take shape, uh, and I, someone actually once said, oh, you're an actor's director, and and I've heard that several times, you know, from other people, other colleagues, and, uh, and I sort of felt that way, because uh, an actor's director is a, a director that works with actors uh, to try and bring nuance and detail from their performances. Now, directors do a whole bunch of things. They, you know, have to uh, work with designers, set designers, costume designers, lighting designers, and crew and tech, and all of that, and, of course, I do that too, but my focus is always on on the narrative and and creating and getting and guiding a, a really good nuanced performance from actors. So I think that's that's why uh that, that title, The Actor's Director.
0: <laughs> well, and do you find that from your like so for everyone out there, when you went and you got trained mm-hmm. in theater, was it from more of the actor's training or was it a director's um approach
1: it was both i um many years ago when i was young i went to stella adler conservatory and studied there for three years and as an actor then later on i went to hunter college and had an m.a in in uh theater studies or art or theater arts. And, and then I did another, I got another MFA in directing from Brooklyn college, but it did start. I I've been an actor and a teacher for a long time. And that started infiltrating into my directing and I couldn't help, but, you know, incorporate uh, the language I understood, actors understood and and, uh, and the, technique and craft that I knew sometimes, especially with novice actors. uh, And uh, I couldn't help but do that with my directing as well.
0: Was the Stella Adler um, experience, just because Stella Adler, that approach, it's so well known, Mm -hmm. was it intimidating when you first went into that school and knew that you were going to go through that training process?
1: Oh, sure. And, and in those days, it was more intimidating, I think, than now because it was um, uh, Stella was still around. Stella was still uh, very much around. I, I I didn't study with her directly, but I did take uh, audit uh, scene study classes with her all the time. But regardless, uh, the the other teachers or instructors that uh, taught her style, it, it was the old school, you know, where, where you know, you were sort of told immediately, nope, that's not working or get off the stage or, you know, that kind of old school of teaching. I don't do that kind of teaching. I never, I never subscribed to that. I wasn't comfortable with that, but, but it was very intimidating because, you know, you, it was more, you knew you could be pulled off or you, it was very much about pleasing sometimes the instructor. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a little tough, but it's different. (laughs) it's not, I don't, still Adler's not that way at all anymore. The uh, the studio is not that way. Um, You know, it's very encouraging, uh, very affirming. It's in, in a very po- positive way. But it, it, everyone taught in that vein back in the day.
0: Yeah. Is it very different than, say, going to the actor's studio or training in musical theater specifically or classical theater. Like what is Stella Adler's, like what was your experience in terms of the genres that you were being exposed to?
1: Well, what her big system is about isn't using the imagination. Uh, She started with the group theater um, uh, along with Strasberg and the 28 other members of the group theater I actually did my, one of my thesis was on the group theater and sell other and the group theater. So this comes in handy, but it was a long time ago. Um, and uh, she and Strasbourg had conflicts about how, you know, acting should be. You know, he was directing shows for the group theater and she thought, you know, that it was too much sense memory and too much uh, the self, and and she really wanted much more to use the imagination. And she was one of the few, if not only, actors that went and studied uh, with Stanislavski in Paris, I believe in 1934, and uh, for five to six weeks or so. And she came back and she said, you know, he's really focusing on imagination. He's moved on from this initial concept. It was just a philosophy or a theory. And um, and so hers is very much based on ima- on the imagination, on creating the character through imagination, creating the given circumstance through imagination, and also actions on on the char- overall character objective and actions. So it's about fascinating,
0: yeah, yeah. So and just for everyone out there, Strasberg Strasbourg was really. Um, Started the Actors Studio, is that correct?
1: Correct, from my understanding, yes, and and very much the idea of the method uh, of method acting, which is the idea of sense memory and digging into your own um, you, your own life experiences to retrieve emotional experiences to play the them on the stage realistically.
0: And we get into some psychoanalytic trauma, even responses to the character yeah. that you need to really it's not about the character's context in history. It's about you, Christina, actually finding what trigger, like what would make you do what you're doing as your character of your own psyche.
1: Correct, which... as far as I understand. Though I've never studied it personally from, from what I know and read and understand, that's exactly correct, what you're saying about the Strasbourg Method.
0: Yeah, and I think in our well-known... Or zeitgeist, that would be the Heath Ledger Joker type people thinking he was going really into method, and you know I'm not saying that the method acting led to what happened to him, but method acting can be, uh, boundaryless if it's if you're not in a um, protected circle of people.
1: I, I guess so. I mean, Al Pacino's a big, uh, he studied with Strasbourg, Mel Monroe studied with Strasbourg. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just, you know, it's for me, I think uh, acting in a way is sort of like picking a philosophy or a religion or whatever. Uh, not that I mean, you know, it's, it's such a, uh, you should be a zealot about it. What I mean is it's what works for you. You know, if it works Man. for you, bravo then then use it if it doesn't it shouldn't be it shouldn't it shouldn't be painful it shouldn't be difficult it should be challenging your the acting technique you work on and the craft you work on it should challenge you as an artist as, a, as an actor as a uh, as a theater person but it shouldn't it shouldn't i don't think it should break you personally
0: Hi, this is Andrew, and I'm interrupting what I know is an enthralling interview because I want you all to know that we are sponsored by Broadview Press. And if you don't know, Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher who publishes books covering topics like English studies, writing, philosophy, history, gender studies, and every season on the podcast, I interview one of the Broadview Press authors. So for the fall, we had Ann Stevens on to talk about literary theory and criticism. She played a Wizard of Oz literary game with us. She talked about why Bridgerton actually involves literary theory. So does Fifty Shades of Grey. Who knew? Um, and also, we just had on Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote the first ever pop culture analysis book. So, you know, I am all things a lover of pop culture, especially my Hollywood topics, Real Housewives, the list goes on and on. And he also wrote the book called The Mad Scientist's Guide to Composition, where he's writing a book, teaching students about how to write rhetorical strategies, but it's all around this metaphor of being in the mad scientist laboratory because as you'll learn when you hear our episode with Jeffrey, he is a gothic and horror fanatic. And I mean that in all the best ways possible. So you don't want to miss Broadview Press's exclusive discount because you're listening to the podcast. All of you get an automatic 20% off Use the code Ivory Tower for twenty percent off site wide on all of their books. So, our in our show notes we have a link to Broadview Press. Make sure you click the link, put in Ivory Tower, and you're going to get twenty percent off your order. So, enjoy your reading, everyone.
1: Uh, it shouldn't hurt. It shouldn't break you down to the point that it's damaging your psyche or, or you emotionally. But whatever works for whom, whomever they, well, whomever they decide to follow, that's fine. As if it's working for you, then terrific.
0: Yeah, it's an approach, just like in academia, my scholarly writing. Like why you would turn to say a feminist critique or a sociological critique or race studies or um, an LGBTQ approach. These are all theories. And sometimes you organically get to your writing in a certain way. Like when I was acting, Christina, I like say for Captain Von Trapp, even though, you know, it was in high school, but I feel like that younger learning is so important of experimenting because the stakes are lower. And I was so invested always of learning about what Captain Von Trapp would be doing in that, like what, what he was around. So what was Austria like? What was the history, the biography I'm really, which makes sense because I'm now a scholar. Like I approach everything through the literature and understanding culture. Um, But it seems like that's what all of your training, you've yes. really like, that's the actor's director is you understand there's so many layers of how someone can get to it and you need to find what works for your actor.
1: Correct. And and doing his doing historical research or any kind of research is very very important and goes along with the imagination because now you have, you know, some sort of understanding and format that you can then create an imaginative character from or world from or given circumstances from. Absolutely. So those two marry very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and How many people talk about Stella Adler being so significant as a female director? I mean, that was not common. And for her to actually have her own acting, her conservatory, that's, you know, a huge deal. Like, did you realize at the time that this was, she was such a prolific figure?
1: Yes, I did. I, I understood, you know, when I was in college, you know, I had heard of, uh, uh, people who had studied with her and understood and had read a little bit about the technique, and um, and I, I thought, oh, I, this appeals to me. This is this is something I like. It's very creative. It's it uses the imagination. It you know, it it um, and and she had worked with terrific actors. You know, she'd worked with uh, Marlon Brando, uh, Robert De Niro, countless. You know, uh, there's so many. <laughs> um, but yes, so it, it, I really liked her approach, and and I liked what she had to say. She was a magnificent woman, really, and she had such a presence when she walked in uh, to the room. You, you know, she she had a, a regalness and a, a, a majesty, and, and so we all just sort of adored her and listened to everything she had to say, and she knew what she was talking about. I mean, she really, and she loved her students, and she really put her, her um, heart into it. But the group theater also had three. Ah, uh, um, started with three uh, uh, founding directors, and one of them was a female. It was Cheryl, ah, uh, Cheryl Crawford. Uh, it was um Harold Clerman, uh, Lee Strasberg, and Cheryl Crawford, who was uh, back in the thirties. So <laughs> there's, there's been a few.
0: Yeah, well, and I had just listened to this really um in-depth podcast about Balanchine and I mean Balanchine had his method and it was very um you had to conform like he really put them in this pressure cooker but from what you're explaining I mean I love this idea of the imagination leading the actor and do you think that this has been so talked about right now I think it's become, because of social media, there was this whole TikTok, Christina, about like how many have a BA in theater in the playbill on Broadway. And someone was trying to weigh in that you need to have, like, if you don't have a theater degree um, as an undergrad and say it's in a different area or you went through different schooling, that you're not going to make it to this Broadway stage. But I feel that that's actually really counter to a lot of those i know who've made it to this stage or who've gone in different directions like even studying in the sciences or they found acting through a different uh, creative process like you know what would you say about that degree experience
1: i mean it's very nice to get to go to school and get a degree but everyone's path to anything is, mm-hmm. but but especially acting um, can be in many ways. Uh, by all means, I really do believe that people should get training. Uh, I think it's important. It will help you a lot. But I also believe you need experience. You need to get on the stage or in front of a camera and do the work. Uh, I think that's equally important. Re- you know, before uh, there were conservatories and acting schools that's how actors learned on the stage they just followed another actor around and apprenticed uh, and and learned how they and watched what they were doing and sort of started you know slowly doing uh performances themselves but but i think it's a good marriage of both again um training is important i think you you need to understand uh, I think there's a structure to acting. There's definitely a craft. I think it can be learned. I don't think it's a magical mystical thing that some people can get and others don't. I think there are people who are like anything else. Uh, you have m- more of a leaning towards maybe the craft of acting than others. Some people sing well, some people dance well, so on and so on, but I think it can be taught. Uh, and I, and I profoundly believe that. And, um, and I think there's a structure to it and there's a craft to it. and, and that it isn't mystical, it's doable, it's learnable.
0: Yes, and I just love all the aspects of the word craft, because craft has that witchcraft, it's all (laughs) mystical, spellbound, and, but like you're saying, that enigmatic aspect really can be, the technique needs to be learned, and you, you have the raw talent for singing, but, there is a technique. Like if you're not breathing from your diaphragm, you're going to start to get um, hurt nodules your or you're yeah. going to, yeah, you'll really hurt your voice. Um, right. And the voice is so important in theater. It's absolutely everything. Um, well, something I'm so curious about, Christina, is how you've taught in such different geographic areas. Like, mm-hmm. especially I'm thinking from Santa Fe to now, you're in manhattan and you've been in manhattan for over 20 years but i'm sure you've gone across the country and yeah what is that like when you're not say in the quote unquote uh, center of theater right i mean i think we all think new york city manhattan is the epicenter but there's so much else going on in the country
1: there is there's lots of regional theater um all over and uh, that does wonderful work and that are equity houses as well. Um, uh, besides theater, there's also, you know, film and television all over, it, all the way from Atlanta, you know, to Santa Fe. Um, so it, yeah, there are opportunities in different places for sure. Uh, I, I went to Santa Fe for four years and, and then came back because there isn't a lot of work there, but I loved the place, it was such a beautiful, speak of magical magical place is santa fe um and i loved working there uh and uh, and loved working at the school but unfortunately the school was privately owned and it closed so we all (laughs) we all went elsewhere and but i had wonderful colleagues i had uh john jury who had started the Actors theater of louisville and the um uh well, actually, he 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 picked it up. He didn't start it. He he picked it up. Uh, Richard Black had started it, and he developed it into what it is today in the Humana cycle and, and all of those playwrights. He also, he was the founder of the Long Wharf Theater, and he was one of my colleagues, and he's now one of my mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, uh, you know, uh, there was Shepard Sobel, too, who had started the Pearl Theater here in New York, and he went out and, and lives in in New Mexico and and now teaches he taught at the at the university i taught at now um since it's closing teaches at the university of new mexico so there was all these wonderful people and laura fine Hawks, who teaches at binghamton she's she's a designer um and she was our chairman uh just great people at, but but then it was time uh to to sort of you know spread out and and regroup and i i wanted to come home and, and i really happy to be back in New York because I feel like this is where I've been the most and and I feel the most comfortable.
0: Yeah. Do you think that there's a real pressure when you're in New York? I mean, there has to be, right? There's a certain pressure of the business that is there more of a freedom when you're say in a Santa Fe or in local theater in the Midwest? that might not exist
1: i I don't know i I can't speak for all of it but but sometimes i'm this is gonna. sometimes in small towns it's a tougher pool (laughs) Mm. because because people are more competitive and it becomes sort of like you know people small pond big fish attitude Mm. and it, it, it can be a little bit um more competitive actually than in uh though it's highly competitive here but it's competitive in a different way and not always a pleasant way uh which i didn't you know didn't appreciate so people could be competitive just because there's so so little things out there or not as much Mm -hmm. it it becomes more of who wants to be the big fish in that in that little pond (laughs) so
0: yeah because there's so many independent theaters in new york city and like there's like the Brooklyn scene there's the North Jersey Regional Theater there's Philly like which is a quick train ride um exactly. yeah so there's a lot Long Island of course exactly. um okay yeah no that makes sense and i mean i grew up right outside of philly but even in the regional theater experience i had professionally um there was a certain who got cast and are they related to the director? Exactly. That nepotism, which...
1: Precisely.
0: You know, usually in Manhattan, it's not through the family. No, like, no.
1: Right. But in very small venues, you will find that because it becomes that kind of a competition and it's not it, it's not equitable or fair or... Yeah, yeah. it's... But
0: it's a good life lesson. Yes. <laughs> so... You know i know that you have also had film experience you know and i know that you are in the ensemble of snl right okay so do you find that the training you give your students in uh acting that it is very divergent whether they want to be more um on screen or if they want to be on the stage
1: yeah, well, I want my act- my students to be working actors. I think that's my job is to make them working actors. Uh, so I want to teach them. And acting is acting across the board, but there are certain ways to meter it so it works better for film or, or television or the stage. Where the stage is you have to be sometimes vocally much bigger or even physically your gestures are, are much larger. On television, depending on where the camera is or on uh, film, you know there's a change in that and there's a, there are even courses that are just strictly acting for films to learn how to, how to you know use your eyes and and use movement and all that.
0: Hi, this is Andrew. So you know when I'm not here in the Ivory tower boiler room, sometimes I'm actually invited to be on other podcasts as a guest. Well, There is one podcast run by Christian Garcia and um, his co-host, Nate, that I absolutely love. It is called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. So calling all you classic cinema fans out there and those who love queer theme cinema, which I think there's a lot of you who are listening right now where you've uh, perked up. So follow them on Instagram at that O-L. Day classic cinema. The first ever episode I was featured as a guest. It's the sound of music. I got to talk about being Captain Von Trapp in high school and it's just such an exciting conversation. They've also featured discussions about Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, which features guests from uh, the podcast The Garland Gab and Down the Yellow Brick Pod. There is a deep dive of Cinderella and recently they had an episode on the film Giants, starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. And actually one of the uh, guests, Lauren Randall, I know from Stony Brook University's PhD English department. So shout out Lauren. Um, You can listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's definitely such a great listen. So why not listen to it after you listen to this current episode on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room?
1: Ultimately, acting is acting and you need to understand uh, how to play character. You need to understand your beats. You need to understand your actions. So yes, I try really to get to give them a a holistic understanding because I want them to be working actors. And uh, what I always want my students to be is autonomous. I want to give them tools and skills that they can take and then apply, that there's a structure to this, like I said, a craft that they can say, okay. This is how I break down a script. And now I understand how to break down a script. I'm I'm looking for this. I'm looking for the beats. I'm looking for an arc. I'm looking for my objective. I'm looking for my actions, my tactics. And then how to, you know, do research on characters so that they they have things that they can follow, templates that they can follow, instruction that they can follow that they can take on their own. Because you don't want to be a guru to anyone. You don't want to, I tell them, stay away from gurus. Never study with anyone for more than three years because then you're not learning, you're not growing. You want to keep continuously hearing from other uh, instructors and professors and teachers and coaches so that you get different perspective might be on the very same thing, but a different light bulb might turn on. They go, Oh, I get it. Oh, okay. And again, acting like we were talking about before it's, it's whatever works for you, but I think it's a little bit of taking from this and taking from that and sort of creating something for yourself that works that that you can that you can get a script and and understand it and and do what you need to do with it to be successful
0: yeah well and some might recognize you from the courtroom scenes of snl or that's how i recognized you christina (laughs) and like there you have to i'm assuming you have to be there you're very trained to not be expressive it's like keep a straight face don't like smile. Right. <laughs> and like our, what is that experience like? Especially because I feel SNL is one of those areas in Manhattan where um, it's so unique because the city doesn't really have anything as, I mean, maybe there is another TV show that is as a high of an exposure show, but I do think SNL, is one that so many know in America, um, that you are getting a lot of that mix between uh, guests who come from a lot from film, from theater, uh, from even professional sports um, influencers, like Kim Kardashian, um, that you're always probably observing such different techniques that they're trying to shine make the guest shine is their goal um, and play around the guests skills. But like, what is it like for you to be on the ensemble observing all of that?
1: Well, it's really a gift. I'm, I couldn't, it, it's a gift. It, it's just a gift and and why I've stuck. I've been there since 2005, except for the time, the four years I was in Santa Fe and then I came back and, and, um, and I'm very blessed. They took me back and, and, um, because i I do get to see uh, all these terrific talents, you know uh tr- do comedy and whether they're award winning actors or award winning uh football players, which we just had it was terrific travis and um uh, and yes, and they're being supported to, to do a good job but but they really i'm I'm often shocked how well they deliver because it's not an easy show it it is a it is. It is like a three, a six ring, it's got six stages. It's, it's like a six ring circus and it moves really quickly. And it's a hybrid between television and live theater. Um, but, but, I, you know, uh, I don't see what goes on behind the scenes with, with, the, with in the direct, in the, um, in the writer's room, but, but uh, we rehearse, you know, we rehearse a, a few times and it's, it's just a. It's it's a good atmosphere. It's a positive atmosphere. I think people enjoy it. It's a for them. It's a very special thing. For me, it's, it's very special too. For all of us, and it's a gift to be sort of watching. But we yes, we're told you know we don't want ever want to upstage anyone who's part of the cast or or, or, or who's a host. So the idea is, and also it's funnier when people are sometimes a little bit serious and and the comedy is happening in front of you, then the reaction is is sort of minimal. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, and is everyone else in the ensemble then in a similar position where they're either a direct, like they are an educator or they're an actor?
1: They're mostly actors, mostly actors. Um, uh, Some people, you know, uh, are dancers or they've dabbled here and there in acting, and um, but mostly actors, mostly actors.
0: Okay, so it's not like everyone is in your same position where they're a theater educator, like they're a director on the no, side.
1: No, no, not necessarily. No, no.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: But I was like, many, maybe we're
0: all, all. No, cool but there are, the
1: everyone does like different, you know, they have different jobs. This is not our only job, you know, working at SNL. So everyone, you know, d- does all kinds of things from acting to some do teach. I uh, have a colleague who's who runs her own improv school and teaches improv and also teaches uh, at a university, but, but, That's far and few. Um, It's mostly actors who, this is another acting job and it's a wonderful acting job.
0: Yes, yes. Well, and I just loved, I saw Quinta Brunson who's, I'm such a fan of Abbott Elementary. I think it's one of the best ensemble shows. so, kudos to her. And I was there I, last
1: night. I was there with okay. her. I was in the boss's sketch. I haven't even watched it. I'm leaving uh, as they're, as it's starting. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. The boss's sketches from last night.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, whenever you're listening to this, make sure you check back Quinta Brunson's episode. Uh, see if you can find Christina. It's like a where's Waldo puzzle. Um, exactly <laughs> but. You know, let's get into your teaching because I find it must be really interesting the students that you're exposed to, especially in the city, like that they're coming from such vast areas to study. So, like, is there a difference between, say, when you're teaching at Marymount Manhattan, which is really known for its acting school, and then compare it to, say, a Hunter College, which does have acting, but it's not necessarily the same, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like Marymount Manhattan to me is like more of the intensive acting training. Like people know about it through the acting program.
1: Correct, that 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 is, I haven't taught at Hunter in a long time. That was where I've, I more recently taught at Brooklyn and Brooklyn also, Brooklyn College has very good um, BA and, and BFA programs in acting. Uh, and they also have MFA programs in acting and directing. Um, it's not this, I, I guess it depends. You know, again, a BA program isn't going to push as hard all the classes that you need to, there are much greater requirements for a BFA acting major than there are for a BA. It's, it's, it's a little bit more scholarly. It's a little bit more, um, academic though. They do get up and act and, and perform and, and, um, and do that as well. Um, but BFA it's, it's being trained to really go on the stage, not just reading about the history and theory of of theater, but really going on the stage. Uh, Whether there's any difference? um, No, I think, no. I think in some regards, people really are passionate about it. It, it, It's a profession that takes a lot of dedication and a long-term dedication. And just because people are in sometimes BA programs doesn't mean Um, They're not dedicated. They are. It's just somehow that's, you know, for whatever reason, that's the path they went. You can always continue to study afterwards at workshops or get your MFA someplace in acting or directing or whatever it is you'd like to do uh, in theater. So they can continue on. But no, I think think most uh, college students come with a lot of passion to do it.
0: Well, and what are some common, maybe, I wouldn't just say misconceptions, but I don't think that would be the right term, with your students, what are some um, beliefs that they're holding when they come to you in the classroom that you have to have them unlearn? that maybe it's just so ingrained in their practice of acting?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, It's getting less and less, um, but, but the idea of being, especially if they are new, if they're sophomores or freshmen, when they get to their junior and senior years, there's not, this isn't as much of an issue, but to be less performative, that acting is performing that, you know, and the idea that it isn't, it's, it says to be as truthful as possible. And to do that is to be, uh, to bring yourself to the role you have to bring aspects of yourself to the role um, because that's the unique fingerprint that you have that makes you unique in an audition from another actor. They're all gonna read the same lines, but what is it you're bringing besides you know, your unique personality uh, in, in stretched into these given circumstances of whatever the character is and your choices in, meaning your choices of of objective action, imagination, how you're subtexting, uh, behind the lines um so the biggest misconception is that you have to be performative you don't acting they, there's an old saying it's never let them see you acting you know mm-hmm. a good actor that you don't it's seamless you don't want to see it wants to you don't want anyone to see you acting you want it to be as truthful and realistic and and real life as possible um and the other thing is and sort of fits into this is playing character it's always about playing character playing character well character to play and I just did this uh uh, one of my little um videos for my channel was about this or it's going to be about this is uh it's not about playing character it's about playing the objective how people who we are you know we don't carry a sign that says you know I'm very nice person I'm um I'm kind. I like to laugh at jokes, but step on my toes, and I become Joe Pesci in, in Casino. That's <laughs> you know, because I'm from Jersey. Okay, <laughs> we don't carry that. How people understand who we are in, as human being, beings is um, by our actions, what we do, and what we want. You know how it's every. It's always about doing so i really tell my students to if they're going to to focus on the character by what the character objectives are what does the character want you know from the other person from from you know what is their overall super objective what are they looking for that tells more about and the character than anything they say or feel feeling is a the feeling is is an after effect you know the feeling comes because they're hitting an obstacle um, and and so they're not getting what they want so some emotion may come up uh naturally, hopefully, not performatively. Um, but yes, not to focus so much on character unless of course you're playing an iconic character that we all know like Elvis or Marilyn Monroe that we know who they were, how they their mannerisms, then of course you have to very much focus on um, their mannerisms and and who they are. But if it's just you know the generic, police officer, the teacher, the detective, wh- whoever it is, bring yourself uh, into those given circumstances. How would you react? How, how would you react if you were uh, a detective in this Law and Order episode, and you had to, and this was your objective? You're trying to investigate this crime and find out if this person is guilty or not guilty of, um, are they lying or not lying to you? Uh, so, yes, bring yourself uh a little bit to the role that's your unique fingerprint
0: yeah so it's really about the motives and the desires of that character that's like fine. and not okay and not saying like oh i have to be happy in this line like cuz like no. you're saying then you're not in the moment you're just thinking i better hit this mark
1: right then you're you're creating the byproduct you you're really doing a performance creating a performance and not something you know, authentic. Um, and yeah, and, and the emotion is really not for you. Um, mm-hmm. The emotion is really for the audience to have. You know, uh, in real life, we don't go around emoting a lot. We, we try to hide our emotions, especially if they're big emotions, because, you know, and it's what seeps between the cracks that make us really interesting. And an audience does the same. It It, it, it will push away from an actor if they're overly emotive and performative. It's sort of like a having a that friend in real life that is constantly oh needy and complaining and you're like oh okay 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 and then you have that here like, we go
0: again <laughs>
1: <laughs> then you have that other one you're like are you okay and they're like yeah yeah I- I'm okay okay I'm okay and and the, and you're like no what really what's happening is there anything I can do you know tell me what's going on and they're hiding then you lean in and want to know it's the same thing on stage with an actor. Uh, you don't want to play the emotion the emotion is the byproduct of wanting whatever action objective you want hitting an obstacle and it creates some sort of emotional response and hopefully naturally and that's that's the magic of being a good actor is that you're having an authentic experience so that the audience is also leaning in having an authentic experience with you because they feel it's it's truthful it's not fictional. It's not fake. It's not fake tears. It's, it's, it's not a fake laughter.
0: It's genuine. Yeah. There's a realism to the performance because you are experiencing, like, say if you're skittish in a certain scene, um, because I don't know, you just committed adultery and now you have to face your spouse um, or your partner you're not going to look at them directly in the eyes. Like there's going to be a certain masking and, but it's not, oh, I committed adultery. And then you like throw it all on them. Like it's, I love right. what your explanation is, Christina. It's really has to seep out. Like you have to allow. the audience effect. to under, to analyze the process.
1: Yes. And, and that's the thing of being a director and getting this actor's director thing is you want your, uh, actors to understand, and as a director, you certainly have to understand that the audience is part of that ensemble too. They're part of the production. Um, they are experiencing, their energy is part of it, You know, especially if it's live, if it's theater, uh, it influences what's going on. You influence them, they influence you, and they let them have the experience, let them have the emotion, let them, let, you know, uh, Robert De Niro says, do nothing. One of the things he said is like, do nothing, you know, as, as an actor, let the audience have that experience. And it's, it's true. It's not that you're doing nothing. It's, it's mm-hmm. that you're, you're not performing. Let the audience feel the emotion. The emotion should be for the audience. You, you sort of allow them that space. And as a director, I really am conscious of that, that they have that, especially for stage, uh, that they have that space, the audience um to, to be there with you, and and so you're there, you're not pushing emotion on them. You're allowing them to join you and 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 feel what you're feeling as the well. As the
0: and I feel that a director, especially all my directors, I give directors so much credit because it, it can really easily become like I've seen certain directors' actions with the cast. It's it confirms what they would want in a, as an audience member. Like that director who claps every time. I mean, that's just a stereotype. But I've had that. I think we've all had that experience where they're laughing, they're like in the back of the house and I'm thinking, wait, there's a whole audience now here. Like, it's not about <laughs> confirming your experience. But that's a hard process though. I mean, how do you as a director, like to all the directors listening to this out there, like I've been lucky enough to have one of my directors on the podcast, Renee Chambers-Lisiaga, who is a professional dancer, choreographer, director, and also has your type of approach, which is she knows what it's like to be on the stage and also get into what would motivate you as um, a character and in your acting craft. But how do you, Christina, try to remind yourself this isn't, what Christina would love to watch. Like I'm not gonna just applaud, like right. get them to what I would want as an audience member.
1: Well that the job of the director is to be the eyes when you're when you're working, be the eyes and ears of the audience. You're really working for the audience, you know, and you wanna make it um a director brings a vision because you somebody's gotta guide uh, you know, so everybody's um on the same page together, the director's the great unifier of everyone's visions and and, and choices and imagination and all of that, all, all the stuff that actors and designers bring, we're the unifier and you guide that. But you always have, for me, I think, I also teach directing at Marymount um, and I've uh, taught elsewhere at, at um, Santa Fe. Uh, what you have, uh, as a director, you have to, um, make sure that you're telling that you're true to the narrative that you're true to to the playwright um and and that it's balanced it's not just uh, you know um it's not just one perspective but that you want to give a balanced perspective because that's what makes the story so much more interesting if you lean just to one thing and like oh this is the villain and this is the good the good character then it's melodrama no, you wanna give balance because those are the best plays, right? Or or the best movies we watch. It's like, ooh, when you go get out of the, the theater and you want to discuss it and you have an opinion and I have an opinion and we sort of discuss it. But I thought they did this and, and the other person says, no, 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 no. But, but I thought it was you know, their fault because they did this. So that um, they're, and that's real life. We're not just villains and heroes. There's a lot of gray area. so. I like to give a very balanced performance, um, and make sure that I am always the eyes and ears of the audience, and that means the director positively, absolutely can have no ego. It cannot be about you. Um, if it's about you, you could see it in the performance, in the in the production. You you see that oh, like they're productions that try things because it looks interesting, or, but it has nothing to do with the story or it doesn't push the story along. That might be the director pushing their ego on that. And to, to address what you said about clapping in the back, I actually never, I try to watch the audience when a, my productions are going on, uh, especially in, in, uh, in the beginning. I wanna watch the audience to see how they're reacting. I've, I've seen the play, I've directed the play. I want to see what's going on. Are they, are they engaged? Are they leaning forward? Are they coughing a lot? Are they shifting? Uh, What moments are really engaging them? So I'm watching the audience when we have opening nights and dress rehearsals.
0: Yeah. Well, and have you, has there been a project where you had to really fight against say an actor's choice and you're like, this isn't what I would do in there this isn't how I would approach the character, but I get it. Like, I understand why they made that movement or why that speaks to their body. Like, it makes sense, but you had to kind of fight against your um, own approach.
1: I am I like to be very collaborative. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I tell my directing students, it never says on the marquee or, or on the playbill or wherever, Uh, directed by Christina Duarte, except that one part, you know, where so-and-so does this, that was their idea. (laughs) It, It doesn't say that. So every good idea, everything that works ends up looking good for you. So the idea of to be a good director is that you always are trying to serve the story to make it the best production possible. Not a production for your own ego, not a production that's just, you know, to showcase you. You are showcasing the production and your actors. You've got to step back again, no ego. It cannot have ego. It's about them. If if the production looks good, then you look good because you've done your job. If it, if it doesn't, then you've had too many, too many hands in there. And um, no, you're, you're supposed to, as a director, allow actors to make choices. They're supposed to bring choices to the role. You want that because their choice may be much more interesting than yours. And again, it doesn't matter who decided what. What matters is the final production and that it's good and satisfying to the audience.
0: Yeah, well, I'm so invested in listening to actors interviews, especially whether it's the Hollywood roundtable, which I always find so mind-boggling. We well, mystic in a way because they don't get to sit down and all chat a lot about the business. Yeah. But also for Broadway actors or off-Broadway actors, I love to hear about just process, you know, which is why we're here, but um something though that has struck me is how there's kind of been um, a pushback over the years, like that an actor thought they didn't have a say with a director. Like they couldn't say, you know, this isn't working. Like I'm not getting there, but they would just trust the directors that the director would stop them if it wasn't working. But like it went, that would never happen. Even though they were fighting against a organic feeling of, Coming up against that obstacle, like you've said. Um, do you find that it has changed? Like, is it cultural, like historical time has passed where actors feel more agency in this collaboration that they might not have done that in the past?
2: Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and cre-cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It and Mandy is spelled M A N D E E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It. Mandy spelled M A N D E E, and order today.
1: Absolutely, I really do think so. I mean, certainly, we train our actors to to have to make to have agency to to make choices because you're supposed to directors expect you to come with choices. And if this, if it's not working, I say, well, let's try something else or whoever the director is should say, let's try something else, you know, and you should have other choices that you can bring to the table, not just that one. But I think so, I think it's, it's changing a lot and for the better, because it is a collaborative art uh, and it needs to be a collaborative art because it's not just one, you know, person that knows everything about it. You don't, you're just, you're just um, the guide. Mm-mm. and the unifier of all these talents. And it's a great responsibility and it's a great honor. So yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you're connecting all the pieces together. Yes. Um, so, you know, as we're wrapping up, which this went by so quickly, Christina, again, we'll have to sit down again. Um, I agreed, yes. Yeah. Let's talk so, to- um, Something I'm curious about is I know you attend, just like I do, We you love seeing theater. And I'm curious, when you go into a theater, um, do you automatically have that actor's director hat on just because that is who you are? Like you are now, are you able to, are you analyzing the choices? Like, can you see, oh, this is what's happening on the stage? The director decided to take them into this type of process.
1: If it's a good production, no, I'm lost. I'm, I'm totally mm-hmm. taken in like the rest of the audience. And uh, um, and then I come home or uh, and think about it, like what was it that they were doing that was so good that the actors were doing and the director was doing that was so good? If it's a bad production, then right away you're already leaning. Again, you're not leaning forward, you're leaning back on your seat and you're sort of saying, I don't know why they're doing that. That's not working. And it's an immediate thing. So if it's good, no, I I think everyone just leans in and is captivated and and you can think about it and should think about what is it that they were doing uh, that really was working.
0: Yeah. So let's take I haven't seen A Doll's House with Jessica Chastain, but I've seen the turntable of her on stage for 20 minutes before the show begins. But like automatically I'm thinking, oh, okay. So there's something about her body and her not able to speak. And she's now just physically moving around and stuck. Like she's stuck on this cog, on this wheel, which makes sense to me. It's this minimalist production idea of Nora as like, not only is she stuck in domesticity, she's stuck in her space. Like she physically can't move from the stage is I'm assuming where they were going with this.
1: I assume I haven't seen it. I definitely want to see it, but I I haven't yet seen it. So I I can't comment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I give credit to any actor who has to sit on the stage for an extended period while the audience is coming in. That's, that's a hard process. Um,
1: I've done, I've done that in in a play. I directed Passover early on in, uh, Before it went to Broadway, actually, I directed it at Brooklyn College and I had my actors because, again, it's sort of uh, it's Passover by Antoinette Nwandu is um, reflective of Waiting for Godot. You know, it's it's very much. um, It's sort of the story of Waiting for Godot, but in different context. And I had my actors uh, on the stage as the audience was coming in and they loved it. They actually loved it. Uh, But that's the idea. They're stuck there. They were, they were stuck in that, in those given circumstances, in that neighborhood, in that area, in, in, in in that situation. So, but they enjoyed it. They, they really was a challenge for them. And, uh, and the, and the audience was sort of taken aback, because they're like, Oh, the actors are on stage, two actors on stage, and they're moving around, and they're sort of doing their thing. And, but I think I think it's uh it's an interesting choice. And it, it says something, it's a symbolic choice.
0: Yeah. What for you, what has been the most transformative experience as an audience member? Do you remember one production that just really hit you in the core of how moving it was? There was just something about that process as an audience member.
1: Wow, um there's I'm trying to rem it goes way back uh I remember it was years and years ago death of a salesman with Brian Dennehy and uh Philip Seymour Hoffman, I believe I, no, I'm now I'm confusing that with long day's journey into tonight, which was also powerful, but uh, it was how yeah, it was the, that death of a salesman sort of like struck me it was so. Powerful, uh, the direction of it, and I cannot now remember who directed it, which is terrible. Um, but but they they use sound and and lighting and every all the elements, and it, it just was very strong. I remember that. But I also like recently saw some like it hot, and loved the music and just you know just love the spectacle of it all and the joy of it all. And I thought it was such a wonderful production in a, in a totally different way um so uh, they're all kind of y- unique but i remember that a long time ago i was young and seeing death of a salesman and, and it kind of it struck me. oh but i know one of my favorite of all times and this is going to sound strange, of all time performances and i've seen it now three or four times is slava Snow Show? if you've okay. never seen slava no, Snow I've Show,
0: seen
1: it. it's a european um Performance, it's almost impossible to explain. Uh, but it, it involves clowning, but not in our typical way, in almost a chaplain-esque way. And I'm a big fan of, of chaplains. And it's it's like chaplain means waiting for Godot. Mm. <laughs> and, and it's it's so magical, it's so transformative, and it's so immersive, it involves the audience. Um, you very much so. It's incredibly immersive with the audience that. I literally, I think almost, I think I wept with joy watching that. And I've seen it like three, four, every time they come into the city, I will see it. Um, So I highly recommend Slava Snow Show if he tours it again.
0: I need to see Yeah, no, if it comes around, I'm going to see it from your recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember when I saw Next to Normal, that to me was a musical experience of just mental health that, you weren't able to look away from her yeah. breakdown experience. And when you can't look away, the catharsis is so palpable. Yeah. Like, but there's that. And there's also, I'll always remember when I just a few years ago saw King Lear and absolutely loved the daughters. Like, it, it, it's interesting to me how what the actor brings to a Shakespeare character, especially Shakespeare, because you know it so well, that Uh, then I realized, oh, this is the daughter's play. This isn't King Lear's play. Are you talking about Sam Gold's King Lear? Yeah, Sam Gold's King uh, Lear. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved um, the trio of daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like I, personally, I think they outshined. uh, I think it was, was it Glenda...
1: I don't remember. I'm trying to remember
0: who actually played King Lear, but um, you know, I thought that they worked so well together. That's what it is. It's the chemistry. Um, that you can, as an audience member, you can tell their authenticity. Um, yeah. So, well, this has been so enjoyable, Christina. I thank you. Thank you. Love learning about your method. I love learning about what your students are experiencing in the classroom. And yes, please keep you know, me in the loop so I can share it out. Like anytime you have a performance you're directing, I want to try to come. Oh, Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. And also, can you tell everyone how they can follow you, like where you are are on social media, your YouTube channel?
1: Uh, My YouTube channel is at The Actors Director, and my Instagram is uh, actors, director, no. (laughs) And, um, I have a website too, um, which is www.christinaduartedirector.com. Uh, if people want to follow me there too.
0: Good. Good. And we have all of that in our episode notes for you all listening. So just go down, click the hyperlink, follow Christina. Uh, listen to her advice, and especially if you're a theater educator, you're an actor, you're a director, you do anything in theater, you know, reach out to her. I'm sure she would love to hear that you've listened to her advice and connect because it is all a big network. It um, is a big
1: network. I would love to. I would love to hear uh, from colleagues and 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 actors and anything. And I also coach privately, so, so I have some private students. There you as go. figure
0: well. oh, good. good, good. <laughs> so, so you um, can.
1: In feel yeah. right now that I that I coach,
0: yeah. Oh, good. So you can actually, you know, experience private coaching from Christina. Okay. So thank you, Christina, and thanks to all listening. I really just loved this conversation with you. It was wonderful.
1: I same here. Thank you so much, Andrew. Let's do tea when we can.
0: Yes, let's do tea. Oh, I love that. Okay. Okay. On that <laughs> note, everyone, bye. Have a good day. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I want you all to follow us on social media because there's so many video clips that we share and so many photos about these episodes. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. Follow our Facebook page, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. For $5 a month, you get ad-free episodes, our video interviews, the True Crime and Academia bonus episodes, and all Ivory Tower Boiler Room bonus episodes. Thanks for buying a coffee for me. And thanks to an amazing team. Thanks, Mary. She's our chief contributor. And thanks to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Spring Interns andrea caitlin sarah sheila and rosie see you all again in the ivory tower boiler room